my grandfather's Hungarian. His second wife was was Romanian. Um, my grandmother is Australian. It's a uh, yeah. It's a. Uh, I think I knew that. I knew about the Australian side. Yeah. 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 No. Have you? Did I not tell you if you if you if you look at Robert Kaplan's not very good book Eastward to Tartary, the first chapter is about my grandfather. Hmm. It's called Rudolf Fischer, Cosmopolitan. <laughs> well, at least you know your uh, your genetic heritage is nice and diverse. My my dad did his. Uh, what do they call it? Like twenty three and Me. Oh yeah. Um, thing and the county that I grew up in mm-hmm. lit up like a, a traffic light. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable and also you know a little bit of cousin marriage, I suspect. So so many generations of inter cousin marriage. Hello and welcome back to Don't Touch Your Face, Foreign Policy's weekly podcast on the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Amy McKinnon, a staff writer with Foreign Policy, and I'm James Palmer, deputy editor at Foreign Policy. On this week's episode, we're going to look at how the pandemic has affected people's love lives. Later on, we'll hear from Zach Schlein, founder of the dating app Filter Off. And we'll be joined by Lauren Knight, a freelance journalist who shared her experience of a Zoom first date. But first this. Staying informed has never been more important, yet information is coming at us faster than ever. So how do you make sense of it all? Start here. Hey, I'm Brad Milkey from ABC News, and every weekday we will break down the latest headlines in just 20 minutes. Straightforward reporting, dynamic interviews, and analysis from experts you can trust. Always credible, always solid. Start here from ABC News. 20 minutes every weekday on your smart speaker or your favorite podcast app. So do you know anyone who's been doing Zoom dating or online dating in the pandemic? No, the, the truth is that almost all of my friends are uh, married or already in relationships. I think mm-hmm. so. I I only have I only have one who, um, and even then she had a sort of regular boyfriend. Who the moment at which the British injunction upon um, how do we put this politely intimate relations was was lifted for none household members was a celebratory day in that household. Oh, I bet. <laughs> It's uh well it um, I mean it was it was that very fact which cost us a very prominent government science advisor in the UK that he'd been sneaking out under lockdown to the house of the woman that he was seeing. I thought it was the other way around she'd been sneaking over to his house. Oh but not, it may it might have been both ways. Um but also they were they were in wasn't she in an open relationship with her husband? And so there was a kind of Yeah, um, the bubbles three, the bubbles were not sealed. There, yeah. Which you know, I mean, if he'd just gone and stayed with them, it would have been fine. I know, Paradox. but but the British lockdown has been militant. I mean... Well, it was. So it feels like it's crumbled now. Yeah, it's still pretty reports. strong in Scotland. I mean, it was just on Thursday, I think, that the Scot- basically the Scottish government lifted it, or just is just lifting it like an inch mm-hmm. at a time. And the new step is now that basically, yeah, couples who are t- in a relationship but aren't living together can now meet up and don't have to keep two mirrors away from each other um well, there was the very sweet story of the the elderly i think it was a german polish couple they were both kind of widowed i think and had started dating in their 70s and they'd been separated by the the closure of borders and so on but they would come and sit on opposite sides of the border and chat to each other oh that's really sweet yes yeah it was very nice apparently the the border guards were very kind of you know would sort of uh, arrange things specially so that they could meet and you know, put like chairs out. Aww. Yeah, that's yeah. really cute. It's, uh, you know, I think the thing is, it's been very stressful for a- anybody who 
was on their own in particular. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, a very weird time to be so isolated. And I guess that that I think is why what's caused a lot of people to sort of hop on the apps, if only to try and make those connections. Um, even if it's just kind of late night chat where you have no prospect of actually seeing each other in person for weeks. Yeah. And in some ways, I think online Zoom dating, I suppose, gets around some of the like the awkward unpleasantness of early stage relationships. There was a piece about this in The Times from the chief science advisor at Match.com. And it's kind of true, like you don't have to worry about who's paying the bill. Do you split the bill? You know, there's there's no awkwardness around a kiss at the end of the first day or whatever, because you're well, you're on Zoom. Um, and also being in the midst of this totally weird historical moment, like you've got plenty to talk about. There's no, you know, awkwardness about chatting about each other's jobs or, you know, dull hobbies or whatever. You've got to feel I mean, there's going to be some couples that like are thrown together by the intensity of online that then break up as soon as they meet in person, though. Um I feel, yes. I, I feel like online relationships too, it's kind of easier to to project things onto the other person. You, yeah, you, fill in the blanks a little bit. Whereas when you're dealing with people in person, you get to see them in all their horrible glory. But I, I mean, I think we should recognize too, it's not a, particularly in the US where the lockdown was very weak by comparison to Europe. Mm-hmm. Lots of people were hooking up anyway. I mean, it was... Um, it was visible, at least around where I live, at at a certain point that there were extremely intense late night um, kind of Tinder couples walking home. Right. But it'll definitely be a kind of, you know, how we met story for for the grandkids, for various couples, though. Oh, definitely. Have you ever been on DC Tinder? I've never been on DC Tinder because by the time I came to DC, I was extremely married. So... No, well, ne- next time you go out, and like, especially with, um, if you go out with a, a f- go out with a female friend, get on her Tinder and have a look at some of the guys in DC. It's fantastic. I I was sitting in a bar once, scrolling through my friend's Tinder, and I think I saw three separate pictures of guys posing with Air Force One, and a lot of tigers for some reason. Oh, the, the tiger thing, the tigers of Tinder is like is, is yeah. famous. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if one of the lasting effects of this is going to be the prominence of video in online dating because it really didn't feature that highly before the pandemic. And frankly, you know, it just sounds wildly unappealing having to video chat with strangers on your phone, but it's actually really taken off um, since the lockdowns. And earlier I spoke to Zach Schlein, who's the founder of the dating app Filter Off. Now the app was actually in development long before the pandemic, but it's now having a little bit of a moment seeing as video chat is becoming such of a staple in online dating. What is it about Filter Off that makes it uniquely suited to this situation that we're all in right now? Yeah, so it really comes down to enabling people to create romantic, authentic connection. And Mm -hmm. it's a video-first dating app. So how it works, it's uh, video dating in the form of virtual events, as well Mm -hmm. as our matchmaker service. It's been interesting. We also offer private events and sponsored events. So what's happened is a lot of religious organizations have said, hey, we have like really large communities that we want to be dating on your app. And they run private events. They require like an RSVP code that they give to the attendees. And these people are dating one another. And it's it's amazing. It allows this community 
uh, to date one another. It allows them to use filter off. And I've seen you've gotten a lot of press coverage in the past few weeks, but have you seen a spike in usership since countries went into lockdown? Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so we have seen a spike in usership. So when it comes to uh, being in quarantine, people are extremely lonely and disconnected and looking to seek connection. So they've been turning to our app uh, to find that connection in a really authentic manner through video dating versus uh, the typical swipe app or just browsing at profiles. So we're looking to go beyond the profile and really allow you to meet someone quickly, virtually. Um, and we believe video is here to stay, even post-pandemic. I just, mm -hmm. uh, I think people are starting to realize that's the smartest way to date. So, I mean, video calls are awkward at the best of times and first dates are awkward at the best of times. Yep. Do you have any tips for people embarking on this about how to make these video chats a bit more natural? Going on a date, a first date gives you those first date jitters. And when people use filter off, it's a similar experience. Like you see who your upcoming dates are. The photos are blurred, but you can see their fun facts. You get an idea of who they are. And that's what we want. Like you can't get rid of your nerves. You just have to accept, yes, I'm nervous. I have a first date. But the, the beauty about filter off, they're very short dates. So if they're not mm -hmm. that great, um, no big deal. Um, but if they are great, like heck yeah. So I think it's just, and be curious when you go on your date, um, ask them about one of their fun facts. See if you can connect um, from a similar value. Um, so I think it's just asking questions, being curious, and finding that connection. That was Zach Schlein, founder of the dating app Filter Off. The coronavirus has swept the world and forced drastic measures to defeat it. It's also proving, though, what is possible in the fight against another major global threat, climate change. Heat of the Moment is a new series by FP Studios and the Climate Investment Funds. It tells the story of those on the front lines of changing the way that we eat, travel, and live our lives. This podcast outlines not only the great challenges that face us, but also looks for a new path forward. Look for Heat of the Moment wherever you get your podcasts. Actually, I only ever used Tinder once when I was in Moscow. Um, which again was a wild scrolling experience. And the specialty there was um, guys on private jets. Um, for some reason, that was the, and again, tigers, of course. There was ample dudes with tigers. So I've only ever used Chinese dating apps um, and only for the like six whole six months I was single um, in, when in, in China. And in, in, that, in those cases, basically, you know, there's always that slight weirdness of being a, a foreigner on a dating app and that everybody's always very eager to child their English on you, if nothing else. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah. I mean, in, in Moscow, it was the opposite problem, which was there was tons of tons of guys from around the world would reset their location settings looking to chat with with pretty Russian girls. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, one of my favorite uh, D and D magazines, Knights of the Dinner Table, ran a fake ad for Ukrainian gamer girls in in about nineteen ninety nine two thousand, and they got hundreds of real responses um, from Western men eager to eager to meet Ukrainian women who played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hello, my name is Natasha. And I have a thirteenth level cleric, but yes, there's a lot of strangeness out there for sure. Um, one of my friends met his uh chinese wife who was a, a multi-millionaire 
through a site called DateInAsia.com, and she bought him a car on, I think, their second date. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was a, you know, he's he was a good-looking guy, but I wouldn't think really car material. That's crazy. What kind of car? Um, I, I have no idea. A nice car. Like, not one of you. I mean, like... Not a ladder. Like a... No, like a like a you know thirty thousand forty thousand dollar car. Wow. Uh, I mean, she was ridiculously rich. They they ended up uh, ended up fleeing the country during the anti-corruption purge and then having a very messy divorce. Oh, so she's single now. I should drop her a line. Yeah, it's uh, but she's in California. Up- upgrade my Ford. It's, uh, should you wish to get entangled in in some extremely dubious Chinese money, go for it. Well, I was going to say like for the to be a bit more philosophical about it, looking at how. Um, like this is just another this is a very very example of of how life just goes on people find ways to kind of to get on with things even though it's adapted nature finds a way nature finds you know. a way yeah nature finds a way you know we are the you know it's it's true and i think like people haven't really stopped doing things because of the pandemic i mean they you know they were dampened down or sheltered but they found new ways yeah across all these things and i think that one of the things that people often forget when thinking about disasters is how resilient and adaptive people are. Mm-hmm. And so something that causes a shock initially can be adjusted to surprisingly fast. And I mean, you saw this with things like shopping and toilet paper and supply chains, mm. where you had that period of kind of disruption and worry that really didn't last, where things you know, returned to normal with surprising speed. And I, I think there's some degree to which that applies across the board and to which it'll apply as we see other disruptions in future years. Yeah. I mean, that I think has been, I was saying this to a friend last night, is I'm just surprised how how well we've adapted to this new way of life. And I never thought it would have been possible. And I think, I will say as a caveat, I don't think this applies to people who are trying to work at home with kids, that everyone I've spoken to is in that situation. It just seems to be... Genuinely nightmarish, yes. And everyone's desperate to kind of get out of that. But for those of us who um, either don't have kids or for people who have older kids, like, it's kind of amazing how life has, you know, kind of managed to go on. People um, people get on with things. Actually, it's been nice talking of, you know, mating and children. We have two, we have a pair of mated sparrows who nested on our balcony i've seen christina's Um, pictures on twitter yeah 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 we get these we get these little get these shots of the babies peak you know pushing their heads out like and it's very it's very nice they they really work as a team you know the yeah 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 they're they're, it's very very gender equal life kind of household Hmm. it's so they built the nest together they're they're feeding them together you know they teach them to fly together and you know then the uh and that'll be it. So we'll be rather sad when the fledglings go. Yeah. I mean, speaking of babies, I'm at that age where, like, my entire Facebook 10 years ago used to be everybody drunk off their faces on cheap cider. And now it's just babies, babies, babies. Everybody I went to school with, university with, having babies. And I can't imagine what that must be like to have. I mean, two of my really, really close friends had newborns right as the lockdowns were going into place in the UK. Oh, and I God. just. I mean, I don't know. In some ways, I think it's been nice because one of them wasn't going to get as much maternity leave as she'd hoped. Mm. And so, you know, the world has kind of uh, forced an extension of her maternity leave. I don't know if she's still trying to to work and juggle a newborn at home. Mm -hmm. But um, just really what a weird time, especially to have your first child. 
in all of this? Yeah, I think the one, you know, the one real takeaway from all of this has been don't have children. <laughs> Definitely. Have, have, have bird babies. Have bird babies, you know. They last for like a month and then they fly off and then you have empty nests and then you have empty nest syndrome for like a week. And then it all starts all over again next next spring. Exactly. Yeah. Much like Tinder dating. Yeah. It's a glorious cycle. <laughs> so we, uh, as you said, I did ask around the FP team if anyone was was willing to to share their dating horror stories, and nobody came forward. They're all Our uh, colleagues are cowards, conspicuously quiet. But I did find one volunteer who was brave enough to share her experiences of Zoom dating. I spoke earlier with Lauren Knight, who's a freelance journalist and a student at UC Irvine, who wrote an article about it for Elle magazine. Here's our conversation. I read your piece in Elle and I could just kind of feel the cringe of the dual horrors of the awkwardness of first date and the awkwardness of Zoom calls anyway. How has it been for you? I mean, this shift to kind of virtual dating? Yeah, so I first decided that I wanted to write this this sort of story because there has been a new feature that has been rolled out on a lot of dating apps. Um, I think particularly Hinge and Bumble have rolled out the option mm-hmm. video chat on their app um, because of dating from home. So that was in and of itself something that I think a lot of people hadn't considered before because a lot of Mm. people, if they want to take that step, they move away from the app and they'll either text or they'll FaceTime or I guess get on Zoom. And I don't remember Mm -hmm. Zoom being much of an option um, before the pandemic. I hadn't even really been using Zoom before I was forced to for all of my online school. So it's weird Mm -hmm. having Zoom being an option for dating because for me, that was something that I associated with school. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. I associate it with work. The thought of doing anything romantic on Zoom just... It's a strange (laughs) feeling. Yeah. 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 I mean, one point you made in your piece, which I actually thought, you know, could even carry over into the post-pandemic world and... You were joking, but there's a small kernel of truth there, I think, for a lot of women when you said the upside is if my date's a serial killer, there's zero chance, um, you know, that he's going to murder me. And that's always a consideration, I think, if you're doing online dates, not per se they're going to be a serial killer, but your date might be a bit of a weirdo or a little bit kind of pleasant or even scary. And how do you get out of that scenario? And like, so do you think more people will look to do kind of a video first date even once the pandemic has passed? Yeah, I definitely see it as a sort of pre-screening before you were to meet a person. And I think that mm-hmm. that is one of the few upsides of Zoom dating or online dating through video chat is that if things go south, you can hang up. You don't have to... Mm text your friend and be like, can you pick me up or call an Uber and awkwardly wait. And the whole joke about trying to escape a first date is very easily avoidable now that you can simply stop talking to them and you can hang up and you're not physically in a space that if you're unsafe, you can't escape. Yeah. 
And so of the dates you've had so far, I mean, actually, how many, if you don't mind me asking, how many pandemic dates have you had on video chat? Two. And how have they gone? Any any highlights? Any cringeworthy moments? A lot of people think it would be super fun, super low stakes, but I, I'm a very outgoing person and I'm also an overthinker. Mm-hmm. So I definitely thought of all of those things in that I wrote about in my article beforehand and also during the date because you're realizing that I don't know what to talk about because normally there would be an activity to do and now we're just sitting here talking face to face and I think that yeah what do you talk about I mean the things that you would talk about you're just sort of I I'm a writer and I'm studying journalism and it felt like I was interviewing someone because Mm. you can't focus on anything else besides just asking questions and replying as opposed to having an activity so it feels almost like an interview and it's way more formal and awkward than you would expect yeah because you don't even have like menus to fumble with or I think you said in your piece you mentioned bowling like just some kind of external distraction to be like oh look at that exactly you're just staring at each other you're just and you're in a location where sometimes it's the person's bedroom that they're like video chatting from which feels weirdly intimate from Mm -hmm. you know you're meeting this person and yet you can see their unmade bed in the background like it's a it's a very strange concept of like you're also viewing a portion of their home or their apartment. Yeah. And as opposed to just meeting in like a mutual setting or environment, it, it's a very strange mm-hmm. concept. And I think that there's a lot more awkwardness to it that even the world's biggest extroverts probably could not avoid. Yeah, I think sometimes being an extrovert with video chats is even worse because you end up talking over people and then the the sound cuts out and it's just makes the whole situation even more awkward. It's true because you'll start talking and they'll start talking. Like, no, 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 go ahead. And sometimes audio glitches, especially I'm sure as mm-hmm. you know on Zoom. Yeah, or that awkward moment where your face freezes in a really weird position and you're stuck on the screen. Or their face freezes, and so you're sitting there waiting for it to unfreeze, and maybe they said something and you're just you're just sitting there. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of ways that it could turn very awkward, and I think with my piece I wanted to bring in kind of the lighthearted humor of, you know, this stuff just happens and it's a pandemic. We're trying to do what we can, but there's so many weird aspects of this that people are just trying to figure out how to establish a sense of normalcy in their life. And for a lot of people, Mm. that's establishing a sense of normalcy in dating. That was Lauren Knight. That's it for this week. We'll be back next Monday. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, head over to farmpolicy.com for all the latest news and analysis on how the coronavirus is shaping the world as we know it. And if you have pandemic fatigue, and let's face it, no one would blame you, we've got plenty of coverage of all the other things happening in the world as well. I'm Amy McKinnon. And I'm James Palmer. Our show is produced by me and Darcy Palder and is edited by Rob Sachs. Our web team includes Laurie Kelly and Kelly Kimball. The executive producer for news and podcasts at Foreign Policy is Dan Efron. 
Until next time, please remember to wash your hands. And don't touch your face. Oh man, I'm never doing a podcast recording after lunch. That was oh. really hard. <laughs> All right, cheers, Amy. <laughs> See you soon. Take care, man. Bye.